Praise God. Thank you, Connie. Uh, we are so excited and, and eager to hear uh, Lewis's side of the story as well, which we'll be hearing uh, in due time. So uh, praise God for that, the work of uh, the gospel in the lives of his people uh, through the word, through the church, through house churches. Uh, we celebrate and honor uh, God for that. We're starting a, a new series here, and I, <clears throat> uh, as I was thinking about it this morning, I feel like the idea is a little bit hokey and cheesy, but just kind of bear with us as we go through this, uh, especially this first particular uh, sermon. I'm a, a big sports fan, like probably uh, some of us are. Uh, every major sport, okay, every major sport has uh, what's called the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is where the best of the best go after they retire, after their playing days are done. When people begin to recognize the greatness of those players, they get elected into what's called the Hall of Fame. This is the dream and the aspiration of every athlete who ever sets foot on a court, on a, a field, whatever the playing surface might be. That's a dream and that's a desire, that's a longing. It's a goal of every person who gets into a competition. Right? Nobody wants to just make it to the NBA or make it to the NFL. They want to be the best at what they do or at least they ought to be. Now, in the Hall of Fame, one of the great things about induction weekend, when people are inducted into the Hall of Fame, there is uh, probably, uh, there's a lot of festivities, but the most anticipated is when each of these new inductees stand at the podium and they give an induction speech. I think what I love about listening to these speeches is that it brings a new side of the humanity of these heroes that we've seen on the court, on the gridiron, wherever it might be. It brings a human side to them. It reminds us that these heroes that we see on TV are mere mortals just like us. And the question that these speeches often answer is, what caused them to get to this place? How did they get to this place in their athletic journey? How did they become so great at what they do? I remember speeches from guys like Michael Jordan and David Robinson uh, Shaquille O'Neal and Yao Ming, Allen Iverson, these great basketball players as they were talking about their journey into the NBA Hall of Fame. There's different things that drove different people, but it all begins pretty similarly, that they were just an ordinary person with a dream, an ordinary person with a longing for something better in life, something better than just to be average <clears throat> something better than just to be, be normal, but a desire to become great. And they made the choices necessary in order to get to that place, inspired by those who believed in them, who encouraged them, who brought out the greatness within them. These are some of the common themes that come up in these Hall of Fame induction speeches, at least in basketball. And the question that I want to ask is, what if there was a Hall of Fame for Christianity? What if there was a Hall of Fame for faith? And every year, different people would be inducted into that Hall of Fame, and they stood up and they gave their induction speeches. What would those speeches say? What was your journey like that took you from where you were to where you are now in this Hall of Faith? Today, I want to ask a very simple question, and this is where the cheesiness comes in. But the question I want to ask is, how do we get into the hall of faith? 
How do we who are sitting here in 2017 Winter Garden, Florida, as Christians who've been walking for maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years, how do we get to that point at the end of our lives or some point in our journey where people say, wow, that person has faith that God sees and he recognizes and that can get them into a place where people say, wow, they have great faith. Today and over the next uh, 11 or 12 weeks, I want to talk about faith and just break it down at its most practical levels and talk about how can we become the kind of people that when our lives are done, people don't just say, you know what, they lived a life of faith. But if there were such a thing, that they could say, wow, you know what, Uh, David made it into the hall of faith. Wow, you know what, Michelle, she made it into the hall of faith. You know what, Lewis is there, Hannah's there, Subin is there. They made it to that place. How can we get to that place? I want to look at the opening verses of a passage in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, widely considered to be a chapter on the hall of fame of faith, the hall of faith, the cloud of witnesses, a lot of different titles for it. But I want to read verses 1 through 3 of Hebrews chapter 11 as we ask this question, How do I get into the hall of faith? How does faith grow? What is the progression of faith look like? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. This is God's word. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. This is God's word. We're going to, um, again, spend the next couple months, three months, um, just uh, taking this, this passage apart. Um, this is a great one. This is awesome. I uh, write a little bit in the insert of your bulletin letter that I wrote. I talked a little bit about why this is so important and what we're trying to accomplish through this time. But for today's purposes, I just want to talk about how does faith grow? How does faith grow from where you are to a better place, right? How does faith grow? The first thing we see, faith, okay, faith is born out of discontentment or dissatisfaction, and it grows in the midst of doubt, okay? It's born out of dissatisfaction, and then it grows in the midst of doubt. Uh, The first thing we see, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, This isn't an original thought, but as I read many different uh, people's takes and and commentaries on this, they say one of the first things that that hope presupposes is a sense of dissatisfaction. The only reason we hope for something is because there's something that's missing, there's something that's lacking, there's something that we're discontent about in the present situation. We're not content with the status quo. We're dissatisfied, therefore we hope for something better. We hope for something more. The reason why, even though we have Christ in this life, the reason we hope for the glories of heaven is because we're not there yet. Because there is a dissatisfaction, a discontentment with the status quo and with where we are. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this is where faith is born, in this place of dissatisfaction with where we are in our present situation. This happens with anybody, whether you're a believer, an unbeliever, a new believer, a mature believer. All of us Our faith grows and is born in this place where discontentment and dissatisfaction begins to hit us in the place where we live. If you're not a believer right now, you're not a Christian, you just came today because, well, I've been coming the past five, six weeks and I'm not sure if this stuff is true. 
the beginning point of faith is this dissatisfaction with where you are that causes you to say, maybe there's something more. It's what Connie just shared. Said going to and doing all of these things and being a good child and, and being nice to the elderly and being a good wife and being a good daughter, maybe there's something more. This is where faith is born, this sense of discontentment that something is missing. We heard this last week when Andrew Choi shared at his baptism testimony. You remember him saying this. He said, my heart was beating, but I wasn't alive. I love that description of how all of us were and some of us still are. That my heart is beating, but I'm not alive. I'm like a zombie. I'm like the walking dead. And it's in that place for people like Andrew that faith is born. says there's got to be more. And out of that came this desire. I want to go to church. I want to go to church. And by the grace of God, he meets his friend at a gym, the one friend that had been inviting him to church. And from that place, faith was born. Where are you today? If you're not a believer, if you are dissatisfied with where your life is, you're so much closer to God than you might think. Because faith begins and is born in that place of dissatisfaction. Maybe you're a believer. You gave your life to Jesus a week ago, 10 weeks ago, a year ago, and you're young in your faith, and you're saying, there's got to be more, though. If this is everything there is to Christianity... And man, this is not that much different from what I've been living. Yeah, there's a little bit more hope, there's a little bit more joy, but there's got to be more. For a young believer, this is where faith continues to be born. This dissatisfaction with where we are. And if you've been walking with God through the years, can I ask, where are you in your faith right now? Are you okay with where you are? Because if you are, then you're going to remain in this place of faith. You'll never progress to the deeper levels of faith. Unless there's a sense of dissatisfaction with where you are in your life right now. So I was praying through this message. I was praying through these thoughts. I wrestled with this. Where am I? Because I said to myself, I don't want to be stuck in neutral in my faith. I don't want to remain where I am. I want this holy dissatisfaction with the status quo. Even though I've grown, even though I've tasted and seen, I want so much more. If indeed grace is an endless ocean and I'm not sinking, then I need to grow more in my faith. You get what I'm saying? If grace indeed, if faith, if if the love of God is an ocean, and we're not drowning in it, we're just kind of keeping our head above the surface, then there's got to be a dissatisfaction in our journey if we want to grow deeper in our faith. So where are you right now? You see, the great enemy of faith is not doubt, it's complacency. It's it's settling in and coasting and saying, you know what, I've grown so much. I've been walking with God. I've, I've grown so much in the past few years. Now I don't need to spend time in the Word of God. Now I don't need to spend time in prayer. Now I don't need to come early for worship like I used to. I don't need to come to prayer meeting like I used to. The great enemy of faith is not doubt, my friends. It's complacency. It's having this sense in which I don't need any more of God. I'm okay. I can continue to go the way that I'm going. In fact, the very definition of faith presupposes doubt. Hey, a lot of times, we and again, Connie shared this. She said, you know, what what kept us from crossing the line was that we didn't have it all together. We didn't have all our ducks in a row. We still had doubt. We still had questions. And what Hebrews is saying, the very essence of faith, presupposes that there's going to be doubt. It says there's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. How can you be certain of things that you don't see? 
Because in life, you'll never really be 100% sure about anything that you don't really know about. You ask someone who's married, if you're, if you're dating and you're, you're wondering, is my boyfriend, my girlfriend the one? And you ask people who are married, and you say, hey, how did you know? When did you know? I don't believe the lie if anyone says, I always knew. Oh, we always knew from the beginning. No, they didn't. They can say that looking back. Yeah, they can say, oh, yeah, we knew all the time. But no, if they knew all the time, then there would never be any doubt. They would have gotten married the day that they met. They would have never been nervous about their wedding. They would have never thought about breaking up. You never know until you know. And you only know when you stand up and you say, I do. And then looking back, you say, yeah, we knew all along. Yeah, we knew. Yeah, you know. How could she not say yes to me? How could she not know? I knew all along. No, you didn't. Because faith is only faith in the face of doubt. See, when we think, I can't believe my faith is no good because I've got doubts, that's, he's, no, that's not, that's not the, <laughs> doubt is not the enemy of faith. In fact, faith always grows alongside of doubt. Uh, similar, similar thing happens when it comes to courage. You think of someone who's very courageous and say, you know what, oh man, I'm, I'm scared to, I'm scared to, jump off the bridge, or I'm scared to go bungee jumping, or I'm scared to ask that girl out, or I'm scared to, you know, whatever it is that you're scared of. But this guy is not scared, right? There's no fear in him. He's like a three, but he's asking out a ten. How could he have such courage? No fear in him. That's what we say. Say that person has no fear if they have courage. But again, the very definition of courage presupposes fear. It wouldn't be courageous if there was no fear. Here, courage and fear run alongside of each other, But the only thing that separates the person of courage from the person of fear is that the courageous person acts on their courage and not on their fear. Who's going to take the last shot in the game, right? This guy's always going to take it because they have no fear. No, they have fear. It's just they act on their courage instead of acting on their fear. The same thing is true with faith. Faith doesn't mean I'm 100% certain and there's no doubt in my mind It means there's doubt. Of course there's doubt. You go through Hebrews chapter 11. It talks about all these people. Noah, when he's making an ark, you think Noah ever doubted? Year after year after year after year. God said it's going to rain in a way that has never rained before. You think Noah ever doubted? Of course he doubted. But instead of acting on that doubt, he acted on the faith, and that's what caused him to become a man of faith. Because faith is born in the midst of, of dissatisfaction, but it grows in the place of doubt. And so how do you grow in your faith? It's not by waiting until you have no more doubt in your life. It's about taking those fears and taking that faith and making a choice to say, God, I'm going to act on my belief in you rather than on the doubt that I have. And so, Lord, I'm not sure if you can really take care of me financially. I know you said that I I should be generous and that I should give my 10% to you. I'm scared to do that. I'm not really sure that you're going to pull through, but I'm going to do it anyways. Okay, that's what faith is. It's about saying, hey, you know what, today, I just don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like coming to church today because things in my life aren't going very well. Because uh, I got bad. I got a bad news. I got a bad email. I got uh, a difficult report from. The, I got just all these things that are happening to me. I don't feel like worshiping. There's this faith that says God is still worthy. There's this doubt that says I don't want to, but I come and I worship anyways. That's what faith is. 
And that's how faith grows. It doesn't mean we get rid of all doubt. It means there's doubt and there's faith, and they're dancing together with each other, but we act on the faith rather than acting on the doubt. Right? This is what faith is. It is being certain. But hey, yeah, you just said it right now. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. I don't have that surety. It's important to understand that here in Hebrews 11, he's not giving a definition of faith. He's talking about what faith does. He's not saying, okay, if you have faith, then you're going to be absolutely certain of what you don't see. He's not saying that. He's saying, but if you have faith, this is what faith is going to do. When you take that step, you will begin to see. And faith becomes the certainty that enables you to continue to go on. Here's what the world says. Show me and I'll believe. Seeing is believing. The Bible says, no, 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 no. It's the opposite way. God doesn't say, I'll show you, then you believe. It says, believe and then you'll see. Okay, this is the essence of faith. So the first thing we see is that faith is born out of dissatisfaction. It grows in the midst of doubt. But how do you know that you've really got faith then? The second thing we see is that faith is proved by our actions. Okay. Faith is proved by our actions. I uh, spent uh, part of this week out in, uh, in, in Seattle uh, with my brother-in-law celebrating his birthday. I was with my brother as well, and my brother and I were, were talking, and he, we're talking about Easter, Easter Sunday, and, and he said uh, that his six-year-old son, okay, my, my nephew <coughs> Joshua, came out, of, uh, came out of church on Easter, and he said to his dad, he said, Dad, uh, I believe in Jesus now. <laughs> and my, my brother said that's the most heartwarming thing that he could hear. Right? My six-year-old son saying, Dad, I believe in Jesus. So what was it about him? And he, you know, he began to have this conversation. He's young. Right? He's young, and in time we will see if he really believes in Jesus. How do you know that somebody believes in Jesus? It's funny because uh, I, uh, years ago I was uh, at a retreat in, in Minnesota, and uh, I was preaching the word, and, and one of the, the things, I, I love going to these retreats because people do things differently in different places, and different churches do things differently, and so I, I like to learn about the ways that other youth ministries and youth pastors do things. Uh, but this particular youth ministry did um, some funny things. I thought they were really funny. Um, every worship service, they gave out a certificate. They gave out an award. Actually, it wasn't everyone. It was at the end of it all, at the end of it all. Like at our, our retreats, we give out prizes for the team that does the best and skits and games and all that stuff that comes on time. Uh, they gave out awards for uh, things like the best friend. Okay, at this retreat, you showed yourself to be the best friend. And so here you go. You saved your seat uh, for your friend every time. There's another one for the best worshiper. I'm like, how do you, how do you quantify like, what the best worshiper is? And they would explain what the best worshiper is. And they gave out this one award for the best faith. Right? This was kind of a Koreanized uh, youth pastor. And so it, it didn't completely make sense grammatically. But the award for best faith goes to... Mr. Eugene, yay! And everyone would clap. And so uh, they would come up. And I thought to myself, I said, yo, how do, you, how do you measure who has the best faith in that youth ministry over a period of three days? And the youth pastor was explaining, uh, Jonathan came early to every worship service. He lifted his hands during praise. And <laughs> he always had his Bible. He never fell asleep and all of these things. And I said, oh, that's very interesting. Very interesting. How do you know? How do you know, according to Scripture, that you really believe, that you really have faith? It's not by how loud we sing the songs of the church. 
And it's not by how fervently we recite the creeds. It's not by how closely you identify with Christianity in your workplace. It's not by the kind of t-shirts that you wear. And I always wear my missions t-shirt to school. And I always wear the retreat t-shirt to school. And everybody knows the things I believe. That's not what the Bible says separates a person of belief from a person who does not believe. How do you know? You read through Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, when warned in holy fear, built an ark. In verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive, he went, uh, he obeyed. And Faith is seen in our actions. Faith is seen in the choices that we make. It's not shown by what we say or what we sing or where we go on Sundays. It's shown by the choices that we make that instead of acting out on our doubt or our fear, we act out on our faith. That's how we know that we have a faith that's alive, faith that works. It says we live out our faith. Through and through, Hebrews chapter 11 makes it clear that this is what faith is. This is how faith is manifest. And I think this is what our world needs more of in our day. I don't think it needs more of us Christians going on social media and sharing these these polarizing opinions of what America ought to do in one thing. That's okay to do. But sometimes we feel like that's all our Christian duty is. I I drop that on Twitter. I drop that on Facebook. I I drop this line. I, I, I post this Bible verse. And there I've done my Christian duty. They're saying it's a whole lot more than that. Our world needs more than that. Our world needs more than our professions of faith. What the world needs is for us as Christians who claim to be redeemed, to claim to have new life, living out that new life of faith. That's what our world needs to see. And that's what faith is, and that's what draws and captures the attention of the people, and that's what draws and captures the attention of God. It says in verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. Literally, it says, God says, I see you. Don't you want to be... I want God to say, yeah, obviously God sees us. He sees everything. He sees everyone. But it's that, you know, people say this all the time. I see you. I see you. I see what you did. I see you. We see you. And I'm watching you because I like the things that you're doing. And that's what Hebrews 11.2 is saying. When we act out our faith, we live out our faith, God says, I see you. I see what you do. And God honors that. And God blesses that. When um, some of you have heard me say this, but we uh, one of the ministries we support is in East Asia, uh, and we work with uh, churches out there. And I remember uh, a few years back going to going to East Asia with some of my friends who are pastors in America, and uh, I asked I asked our leader, we're part of this board, and I asked the chairman of the board, I said, Hey, what are we what are we going to do there? And he said, Maybe we'll we'll preach a little bit. We're just going to encourage these underground church workers who, you know, they've, they've given up everything. They've abandoned it all to follow Christ. And so we're just going to uh, encourage them and, and bless them and, and, and just let them know that we're, we're, we're praying for them. And so we got there, and um, literally what they said was true. These people have left houses and lands and mothers and fathers and children even and wives in order to come and to study in order that they could go back hundreds of miles to their hometown in order to build the church. And as we're sitting there, um, very quickly it dawned on me, man, I have nothing really to share that would encourage these people. In fact, I'm being blown away by the evidence of faith that's being lived out in their lives. And I see them and I, I think to myself, man, these people, there's one, one lady on a Friday night in the midst of heavy traffic who would ride her bike two hours to and from, four hours round trip on a bicycle to come to a prayer meeting. 
and oh, she's 80 years old. Riding her bike two hours to go to this underground church meeting in order that she could pray to the God to whom she could just pray to in her own apartment, but she wanted to gather together because she wanted to live her faith out and to bless other people. I said, man, I have a hard time waking up and driving 15 minutes to come to a prayer meeting. And I, I just, it, it, it's not just her. It's like time after time, person after person talking about, and they're not, they're not boasting. It's just someone is saying, yeah, this person. There's one girl there. She, we, we have a worship leader in a school that trains up worship leaders. There's one girl, and she had a camera the entire time, and she's filming, and she's videotaping, and, and they would sing these songs. And as I would, I would videotape on my phone, this one girl just so full of joy so full of life, and, and I remember asking someone, I said, what's up with that girl? Why is she always, uh, why is she recording everything? They said, she's got cancer, and she doesn't have much left to live, because uh, she wants to document everything, and I, I so this wasn't, I, I, I this is, I wasn't going to talk about this, but now that I'm, I'm talking, I, I, I'm, rem- I'm reminded of, they were singing this song to those of us who were gathered there, and it was an Easter song, it says, because he lives, right, because he lives, I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. And I remember after I heard that she had cancer and she didn't have much to live and then seeing her sing that song with tears coming down but with an utter joy and the radiance on her face. I said, she knows what it is to believe. She understands it's not just something that, oh, yeah, it's a cultural, I'm a cultural Christian. No, every fiber of her being is given and surrendered to this truth that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. You know, that place, you don't just say you're a Christian because when you're a Christian, you've got secret police coming after you. Right, their lives are constantly in danger on the run. The seminary in which uh, uh, the, the school meets has been shut down, and so they're meeting in these tiny little apartments crammed in that place. And I remember talking with my friends who are ministers in in America, and we're just being just humbled and blown away, just completely melted by the genuine faith of these people. And uh, the the, the leader of that organization out there in East Asia, she said, okay, guys, I want you to stand up and, 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 and share who you are. And I just felt like I felt so tiny. I felt like I'm in the midst of giants, like spiritual giants in that place. Like people who, when we get to the other side of glory, they're going to be so near to Jesus. And I'll be so far away that I'd have to take a train and it would take me a long, long time to get close to where they are because they are so in love with Jesus. And it's humbling to me. And then they go and they share about, yeah, we went on this mission trip to Pakistan and the Middle East and and, and these people are ready to die for Jesus, and their faith is so real, and it blows away the faith of us here in East Asia. And so I'm like being just completely, like I'm like, I don't even know if, I'm, uh, if I love Jesus anymore <laughs> looking at these people. I mean, these guys are ridiculous. They're like saints, like people who have given it all for Jesus. And so we stand up and we say, you know, what do we say to people who've literally given up everything? They're living out their faith. There's a radiant joy on their faces. There's no fear of death. They say, what do we say? <laughs> hey, uh, we're praying for you. Keep on going. And then our leader stands up. She's there in East Asia. And she's like, uh, bait and switch here. She's like, guys, I just wanted you to come out here and see the way our people live. 
Pray for us, yes, but pray for America. And this is what she said. If there's one message I want you to take back to America, the American church, and to the church that you guys have privilege to go to, one thing, just one thing, as you've seen here, can you tell them one thing? Live out your faith. I live it out. Don't just talk about it. You go to East Asia where these people are, you just talk about being a Christian, you get killed. There's no point in just talking about your faith if you ain't going to live it out. And that's what they plead with us from the majority world. Please, American church, live out your faith. You want to know if someone who's pursuing you, a man of God, is really a man of God or not? See if they live out their faith when their faith is put to the test. This is what it was with Job. When things got hard, do they live out their faith? When the church is fasting, do they chicken out or do they go on with it and say, I'm going to discomfort myself because I'm going to live out my faith? When they're stuck in traffic, do they live out their faith? When they're playing sports and the call doesn't go their way or they lose the game, do they live out their faith? Man, don't tell me you live out your faith because of what you say and what you pray and what you sing. No, live it out. That's what they're saying and that's what they're saying here in Hebrews 11. Live out your faith. Don't just talk the game. Live it out, people of God. Live it out. That's the way the world will know. And that's how you know that your faith is real. The second thing, the last thing we see. Faith matures in the fellowship with the faithful. Faith matures in fellowship with the faithful. It's born out of this hunger and this discontentment. It grows alongside of doubt. It's proven by your actions But here, you will never reach maturity if you're doing Christianity by yourself. I've heard many many a time people say that. Well, I received Jesus into my life, not anybody else. My My faith is personal. It is personal, but it's not private. There's no such thing as a private faith when it comes to Christianity. Like, you do your faith in your closet, and that's it. No, you come into the... It's always corporate. It's deeply corporate. Why was Hebrews 11 written? Can I tell you? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, will tell us what the intention of the writer of Hebrews was. And we don't know who the writer is, and this is his intent from verses 30, or his or her, verse 32 through 34. It says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. He says, remember those earlier days. Why? Because they were being tempted in the midst of the challenges to shrink from that faith, to say, you know what? People know I'm a Christian. I'm just going to do my own thing, though. There was a temptation to water down their faith in the midst of a culture that was opposed to Christianity. And so there was this temptation to say, you know what? It's okay. God knows I believe. My friends know I believe. But that's good enough for me. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You've got to live out your faith. Remember these earlier days. Remember when you joyfully gave everything for Christ. Remember when you closed your eyes with conviction and you sang, all I want, tell dear, build my life upon all this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I've counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this knowing you, 
Jesus knowing you. Do you remember when you meant that with all of your heart? Sing, remember those days. Remember those days. Go back to those days. Don't forget those days. Don't let your faith be watered down. Don't give in to cultural, cultural Christianity. Don't give in to the secular world's ways of defining you. Live out your faith by remembering those days. And then he goes into Hebrews 11. And he says, remember that you're not alone. Because there's this great cloud of witnesses that surround you, that remind you that you're not the first one to believe in these things. You're not the first one to hope in these things. You're not the first one to go through the persecution that you're going through now. You're not alone in the faith. And this is why he wrote Hebrews 11. He says, this has been going on. The people of God laying down their lives in glad and joyful witness for thousands of years. You're not alone on some island harvest in winter garden in the midst of the sticks in this year, 2017. You're not alone. Saying You've got to realize this is why we hear testimonies from people like Andrew and Connie. This is why we gather in house churches because you and I need to know that we're not alone. This is why we have a youth ministry because you need to know, young people, that as you fight for faith in your schools, you're not alone. That you've got brothers and sisters doing this in different places. You've got people at, at Olympia doing this. You've got people at UF doing this. You've got people at UCF doing this. You've got people in the middle schools who are doing this. You've got to know that you're not alone. You've got to, because you will not grow apart from fellowship with the faithful of God. It's why, it's why house church, why youth ministry is so important. It's why you need to be reminded, constantly be reminded of those who were part of our midst, who were equipped and God sent them out to different places. That's why we remember people like James and Lauren Kim. When your life gets hard, you remember they've given everything to follow Christ and his call in Canada. You remember people like Danny Chen as he labors and gives everything so that people at UCF could come to saving knowledge of Jesus. You remember people like Pastor Albert in Virginia. You remember people like Pastor Goose in Houston. You remember people like Pastor Justin in California. You remember people like Pastor Solo in Boston amongst the intellectual elites. And you remember that we're not alone as we do this. There's a great cloud of witnesses that's fighting and laboring and laying down their lives. That's why we pray every week for our missionaries because they're literally laying everything aside in order that Christ would be made known amongst the people who know him not. That's why we remember the church in North Korea. That's why we need the reports of the Coptic church and we cannot turn away the church in Egypt two years ago, a year ago, 21 of them on the shores of Libya martyred by radical Islamists. Like we remember them because it wasn't just for the sake of being good people that they were martyred. It was for the sake of Christ that they gave their lives. And as a result, the church, they said the Coptic church is exploding. And two weeks ago on the, uh, the beginning of Passion Week on Palm Sunday, again, bombings happening in their worship service just like this. Right, they could have shrunk back in fear, but they said Holy Week services were blowing up, not literally blowing up, but the people, the crowds were so full in those places. Easter Sunday, there was no room for people in the Egyptian church. They said, death will not hold us down. Death is not going to keep us from worshiping our risen Lord because he's alive. That's why we gather in the face of death, because we have a hope that is certain. We need to hear reports from the Coptic church. We cannot shrink away. We need to hear from the persecuted church, the voice of the martyrs as they call out. We need to hear that because that's us. That's our legacy. That's our heritage. That's our circle of faith. That's a cloud of faith that surrounds us as we walk this 
journey of faith. This morning, maybe you had a hard time waking up to come to church. And then we, re- then we remember those who've gone before us. The Oprah Winfrey of Egyptian TV said, There's, these people, this Coptic church is made out of steel. Nothing can break them. And people are coming to know Jesus because of the faith of these men and women. On the shores of Libya, 21 of them died. What did they say? What was their final, what, with their final breath, they all called out the name of Jesus. For you, we give our lives. Now, we need to hear these stories because this is our family and these are our people. We need to pray for them. We need to remember them. By faith, says by faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. One day when the roll call, the hall of faith is called, guys, I pray that so many people from Harvest would be there. By faith, June. By faith, Ben. By faith, Mark. By faith, Anne. Move mountains because of their faith. For God to say, I see you. I see what you're doing. Every single one of these people of faith, different in their actions, but all of them united in one thing. What was it that united them? Because you see, faith is never a naked and bare faith. It's always a faith in something. What is it that every martyr, that every person in the cloud has faith in? Jesus. It's him. Their eyes fixed on Jesus. If our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we can walk on water. If our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we can bring heaven down to earth. If our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we can slay giants. If our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we can bring the walls down. If our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we can build bridges. Nothing will be too difficult for us. Because we fix our eyes on Jesus, who said, for me to live is my people and to die is their gain, that we can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is my gain. Because of Christ and because of faith, he calls us to come. So today, the great invitation, let's leave the crowd. Let's join the cloud of faith for the sake of his name, for the beauty of the gospel and for the joy of the nations. Let's pray. As we pray this morning, as we respond to the word of God, guys, Easter wasn't just about a week to celebrate and take pictures and be happy. It's everything to us. Not one week we get all excited and then up, back to reality. It says, because of last week, we live with a greater boldness. We live out our faith. So what does that mean? For some of us in here, maybe that means, hey, if the litmus test is faith, is my actions, then maybe I'm not a child of God that's you and your simple response be do you want Jesus in your life
you want to put your trust in this Jesus, will you cross that line and will you follow him? For others of us, maybe we have become complacent in our journey. And you see that through the actions of your life. Maybe you've lost that edge, that hunger, that longing, that passion, that fire, that fuel, that desire, that longing, that eye of the tiger that drove you to overcome obstacles for the sake of his name. Let's pray, God, awaken that in me. Lord, may there be a holy dissatisfaction, hungering for more of you. Let's not become lax. Let's not become slack in our relationship with God. You can do that about many other things, but don't let that happen to your walk with Christ. Don't let the garden be overtaken by weeds. Let's come to Jesus. Lord, I need you. Maybe for some of us, we've become habitual in not meeting with others. That I can do faith on my own. Maybe you're challenged today. Maybe that's why I'm not growing not in fellowship with the faithful. Maybe my friends, the people that I'm running with aren't helping me. Maybe you need to say for a while goodbye to certain relationships and hello to new ones, eternal ones. How do you need to respond? Let's respond in action right now. Faith is shown in action. Let's move towards the Lord right now in prayer. Okay? Let's talk to God for a couple moments. For the sake of those who are here, maybe haven't given their lives to Christ, I'm going to give an invitation in just a, in just a few moments. If anyone wants to put their trust in Christ, I want to cross that line and be a person of faith and live with hope and joy in this life. I'll give that invitation in just a couple minutes. So think through that. Let's pray. Let's pray for a couple minutes right now, a minute or two. So Lord, I need you. Let's fight for more of God in our lives. Those who are tired, know you're complacent but you're tired stand stand walk around but let's pray let's meet with God let's put down a down payment right now so that we can have more of God as we surrender to him let's pray for a few moments and sisters, the reason why faith leads to action is not just because I believe and therefore I'm going to do it. It's because when we have faith in Jesus Christ, we trust him. He comes into our lives and we have new desires and a new power. And we, Galatians 2.20 says, become crucified with Christ so that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. It's not just that we do these things because we choose to do them. That's true, but it's organic as our hearts become changed by the Spirit of God who lives within us. So maybe if there's no fruit of faith in your life, it's because the root of faith has not been taken up in your heart. 
and the root is still the old nature. If that's you, you need Jesus in your life. You need Jesus to come in and to take over the reins, to be your master, and to be the forgiver of all of your sins. As we continue to pray like that with our eyes closed, and for those who've made this choice to put your trust in Christ, continue to pray and to pray for those who haven't. But if you've yet to make that choice and you're here today and like, you know what, I'm dissatisfied. I need Jesus. I need that Savior in my life. I need him in my life. If that's you today, just in, in the quiet of this place between you and God, if that's you, just ask that you raise your hand from where you are. God will see you. Yeah, he'll see you. God will see you where you are and he will come into your heart and he'll change you from the inside out. anyone like that, you can go ahead and raise your hand. Um, The Lord sees you. This is between you and him, but I want to be able to talk with you and to help you in the days and weeks leading up after this. Maybe there's no one. Maybe there's someone. If there is, you can raise your hand. Otherwise, let's just continue to pray for half a minute, and then I'm going to pray on our behalf. Continue to fight for faith, resting in the faithful one, Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you so much because Ephesians 2, 8 tells us that faith itself is a gift from God, not by works so that none of us can boast. The most faithful in here have no reason to say, yeah, I'm better than the least of us. No. In fact, the more faith we have, the more it causes us to say, I have nothing to boast about except for Christ. Thank you for Jesus who lived the life that we failed to live and had died the death that we should have died. So help us now. Fill each of us with your holy presence, with your Holy Spirit. May faith arise. May hope arise. May a church arise who lives out their faith. In Jesus' name we pray.